Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fans First Sports Network listeners, welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet. This is your host, Kevin Smith, podcast host here at the Fans First Sports Network and also the Steel Curtain Network contributor to both of those, head football coach at Ocean City High School in Ocean City, New Jersey. Happy to be with you again here in August, where it's now August 8th, August 9th, one of those days. And we are deep into camp season. And we're going to talk about that today. This is our, our training camp primer show in which we're going to go through training camps around the NFL and not not highlight everything that's going on in in all the camps obviously but we're going to look at some of the more interesting camp battles in the NFL right now that'll be in part two of our show and in part one of our show we're going to talk about the nature of training camp I just returned from Steelers training camp out in Latrobe Pennsylvania got to see some really interesting things going on there and we will talk about Uh, What are teams trying to do during training camp? What are they hoping to get out of their training camps? What are their objectives? We're going to go top five objectives of teams during their training camp seasons. But before we do that, this is episode 17 of the call sheet. And something I started to do last week, which I think I'm going to do every week now until I run out of numbers, uh, is is to honor a player who wore the number of that, that marries to the episode of the call sheet that we are currently on. And so this is episode 17 and there's some really, there's some really great number 17s in NFL history. There's some great current 17s. I mean, Josh Allen and Devontae Adams come to mind and in the not so recent past, or I'm sorry, the not so distant past, you have Phillip rivers who, who may be the best quarterback to wear 17. That's probably debatable. There's, there were some darn good 17s, but I'm going to go into the Wayback Machine. I'm going to go back to when I was a little kid. The first number 17 I ever saw, uh, or I should I should say that I remember playing. And it is Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Harold Carmichael, which I'm definitely dating myself. You, you can probably may make a guess as to hold up how old I am by my Harold Carmichael reference. Harold Carmichael was a receiver for the Eagles in the 1970s and Uh, 1980s. And the thing that made him rather exceptional, other than being a a darn good wide receiver, was that Harold Carmichael was six foot eight. He was a true anomaly among wide receivers. There really aren't any six foot eight wide receivers in the NFL right now, as a matter of fact. There's a couple of six, eight tight ends. I saw one of them, Zach Gentry, at the Steelers training camp. Uh, 
the other day, and uh, he was paired alongside 6'7", Darnell Washington. So the Steelers have some of the biggest tight ends you're ever going to see. But Howard Carmichael was a wide receiver. And I remember watching Howard Carmichael as a little kid catching passes from Ron Jaworski, the Eagles quarterback, the Polish rifle. And they made a run to the Super Bowl in 1980, where they inevitably lost to the then Oakland Raiders. But uh, watching that Eagles team, I, I did not grow up an Eagles fan, but watching that Eagles team, because I was local, lived in South Jersey, and the Eagles were the team that was always on television, was really one of my big introductions to football. And I, I remember that team fondly. I remember the players on those team, on that team, even though, again, I wasn't an Eagles fan. And this is a long time ago. But I remember them, Jaworski and Carmichael and Wilbert Montgomery. And, I mean, they, they just uh, – Jerry Robinson, the outside linebacker, I like to watch play. So it's fun when you think back to the guys who made an impact upon you when you were a little kid and how vividly you, you, you remember them. So, anyway, shout out uh, to the great Harold Carmichael. All six, eight of him here on episode 17 of the call sheet. All right. Now to our objective at hand, let's talk about the, the nature of training camp. What are coaches and teams trying to accomplish in their training camp season? So quickly, I, I talked about this on a couple of po podcasts that I did for the Steel Curtain Network. So I'm not, not going to make this a, a Steelers uh, show, but I'll just talk very briefly. Steelers camp out in, uh, in Western Pennsylvania. They hold their training camp at a small little college, St. Vincent College. There, it's right. It's out in the middle of the hills. You got these you know mountains that surround the campus. You're you're parking next to big cornfields. It's very scenic. It's very quaint. Uh, it smacks of culture and tradition. There's a reason the Steelers, a franchise. That have had three head coaches since 1969. Uh, so tradition is something important to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And to be in that unique environment, it was fun just to be among all these other Steelers fans. But the most fun, of course, was watching the action on the field. And I learned a lot about what the Steelers are trying to do as a team. But I could also extrapolate some general thoughts as to what teams are doing rather universally in the NFL, in their training camps. So let's talk about five things that all teams focus on in some way, shape, or form during training camp. The, the first and most obvious is they're trying to define their roster. And that's kind of like a duh statement. Like, duh, of course, that's what they're doing. They're trying to define their roster. You have 90-some guys in camp. you got to get down to 53. And this year, it's a, it's a big cut. It, it, it used to come in these sort of waves where you had to get down to 80 some guys and then you had to get down to 60 some guys and then you made your final cuts it comes all at once now which means there's going to be a massive cut uh, i don't remember what exactly off the top of my head what the cut down day is but there will be a massive cut and there will be a lot of good football players who will be let loose and many of them will probably be sna uh, snatched up by other teams whether on their practice squads or signed to their active rosters but it's a little bit different this year and and that cut down uh, makes it significant for teams to do really quick and correct evaluations of the players who they have in camp. You can't miss on guys. You can't be wrong on guys. You've got to get them in the right situations. You've got to get them enough reps to evaluate them properly. I think most people understand that there are a handful of players 
in every organization who are really just there as camp bodies because you need guys for practice reps. You have to fill out the mandatory number of, of uh, camp players and guys who really don't have much of a shot of making the roster. But there are many others who are in camp competing, legitimately competing for roster spots. And that shines a light on one particular type of player, which is the role player. Most teams have a pretty good idea who their core starters are going to be, who their key backups are going to be. If you, if I think about the Steelers, for example, just you know, looking at their training camp, they're probably going to carry six wide receivers, and I'm almost positive I can name five of them right now. And they've got 10 wide receivers in camp. So it's really, there's like five guys who are almost locks to make the roster right now. And then five other guys competing for one spot. Who gets that last spot? Who gets that last spot at wide receiver? Oftentimes it comes down to the player who offers the most versatility or can fill the, the largest number of roles. And often because of the nature of the game, that means special teams. If you can contribute on special teams and you're a fringe guy, you've got a much greater chance to make a roster than a player who cannot do so. And what that might mean is you've got a skill, like you're a kick returner, or you have uh, great open space ability, right? You can move well in open space, you can tackle in open space, or you simply have tremendous desire. So much of special teams is about desire, just the willingness to do it. Because most NFL players were stars at the lower levels, and stars don't don't contribute on special teams that often. It's very rare that they do. So, so most of these guys probably didn't play special teams in college because they were stars. And now you get into the NFL and many of them probably don't want to play special teams because it's hard and it's kind of thankless and it's physical. And you generally don't make large amounts of money to play special teams and you could get injured doing so and jeopardize your opportunity to make large amounts of money. And so they don't want to do it. So the guys who want to do it and the guys who do it well are great roster candidates. And so one of the big things in determining who makes the roster is finding the right role players to fill the roles that are necessary. All right, a second thing, and this has nothing to do with what goes on on the field, but all NFL franchises right now are trying to develop culture, the culture of their team. You hear coaches talk about this all the time. What's our culture going to be? Well, what does that really mean when we talk about culture? First and foremost, it's a level of expectation. Culture is a level of expectation that, filters down really from the front office, but is mostly enforced by the head coach. And it is supposed to translate to the players in terms of how they carry themselves around the building, how they conduct themselves on the field, their level of preparedness. It can translate to very, very subtle things like showing up on time. And in the NFL, on time doesn't mean on time. If you have a meeting at 845, that means you're there at 835, right? 845 is late, even if 845 is the time the meeting is supposed to start. The, the culture of a building often translates to little things on the field. If you let guys show up late for meetings, which is a little thing, a detail, can you trust that guy on third and one when you got to make a first down to win a football game? Can, if you can't trust them with the little things, can you trust them with the big things? That is a huge part of culture. And so some coaches will give their teams or their players seemingly menial tasks that they expect to be accomplished as tests because they want to see, hey, can this guy clear this little hurdle, this simple hurdle? Is this guy willing to 
pay attention to the details, dot the I's and cross the T's. Because if he is, I can trust him now to do the bigger things. So the establishment, establishing of culture is a huge element of training camp. Level of expectation, ownership and buy-in from the players, leadership. All teams want to know, how's that going to play out during training camp? And how can I shape it in a way that's most beneficial to the organization? A third thing, and a fairly obvious thing, that all teams try to establish at training camp is the installation of their core schemes. Now, this started back in OTAs in the spring when teams were allowed to have the players in the building for both voluntary and mandatory work. But, of course, it really ramps up during training camp. And when you're implementing scheme, a lot of times it's not simply the things that are the most obvious stuff, like, hey, here's our run game, here's our passing concepts, here's our base defense, here, here's our nickel package. I mean, everybody puts all that stuff in. But it, it also has to do with the details, the timing of motions. If you're a jet sweep team, a big jet sweep team, like the Steelers, I watched the Steelers run a bunch of jet sweeps at their training camp the other day. And what were they working on more than anything? The timing of it all, right? Get Making sure that the timing of that play was not going to jeopardize the context of the play as a whole. Or making sure that your quarterbacks read progressions in, in live action are on point. Or making sure that the choreography of your blitz schemes are in sync. I mean, these are the little things that teams want to work on during training camp that, that are scheme-oriented, of course. You know, we think about scheme and we think, oh, well, how, do you, how are you going to block this play? Oh, we're, you're, you're putting an inside zone? Great. How are we going to block inside zone? Of course, that's a huge part of it. But a bigger part of it is getting your players enough reps so that the execution of that core scheme is on point. Can I get my running back enough reps on the inside zone play so that he sees the cuts and he can feel the cuts and he knows where he's going? Can I do that? And if, if you feel comfortable, then, then you're doing a good job implementing your scheme. A fourth thing, situational football. This is a huge part of training camp. Making sure that players are prepared when that season opener rolls around for the situations that will arise. So you'll see teams at training camp build situational periods into their practice schedules. For example, first downs, right? If you're the offense and you're going to run a first down period. Maybe there's going to be a 10-minute a, a block in practice where it's going to be all first downs. And the goal of the offense is going to be to make four yards on every first down play. And the goal of the defense, of course, is going to be to stop them from making four-plus yards. Because if you make four yards on first down, you're on schedule. And what that means is you now have plays on second down that you like and that you feel comfortable calling in that situation. There's a lot of good plays you can call when you're in second and four, second and five, the number of good plays you have on second and 10 are significantly lower. It gets much harder now on second and 10 to convert first downs because your, your play sheet shrinks and gets harder to execute against the limited opportunity you now have given yourself. So you want to make sure that you execute that. Similarly, third downs, right? One of the most important stats in all of football is third down football. Who are the best teams on third down, who are the who are the best offenses at sustaining drives? Who are the best defenses at getting teams off the field? You will see a ton of reps on third down periods, right? And when you say third down periods, it's not just like, hey, we're going to line up and this is third down. It's third and eight, third and six, third and four, third and two. What are we calling in these situations? Can we practice it 
enough to, again, have the players feel comfortable executing those in a game and anticipating them. If you rep uh, on third and two, you're going to run duo, which is a, a common run play in the NFL, a, a big double team on the front side of a play. And and you rep that in uh, third and two situational period over and over and over again at training camp. When you get to the first game and it's third and two, the players know what's coming. And if they know that that's what's coming, then they can feel comfortable executing the scheme. Lastly, right, uh, as far as situation football goes, the red zone. I saw the Steelers do a ton of red zone stuff at their training camp when I was there last week. And they need to because Pittsburgh was one of the worst red zone offenses in the NFL last year. And so it seems as though they've made it a mission of theirs to get better in the red zone this year. And you could tell that by their situational practice. They spent a lot of time working on red zone stuff. Lastly, a fifth thing that all teams want to make sure that they do during training camp is what, for lack of a better term, what I would call troubleshooting. Teams want to be able to troubleshoot their own problems. You need to identify the things in training camp that you're not doing well or your areas of weakness or the things that may be exposed uh, against you by a, a competent opponent. And you need to uh, create solutions for those problems. Now, that, that solution might be signing a player off of another team's roster who just got cut. And again, this year, there's going to be this one massive cut down, and that's going to create a gigantic pool of players. So if you're going through training camp and you don't feel comfortable with your slot corners, you, you notice that when you get to seven-on-seven seven passing drills, which everybody does through training camp, that the offense coordinator is picking on your slot corner when you go to your nickel package and you don't have a, an answer for that, you better troubleshoot that. You better figure out a scheme solution or a personnel solution before you get to week one. And if you, and if you fail to identify that your slot corner is getting picked on, then shame on you because somebody else is going to identify that. Some some opposing coach in week one or week two or sometime soon is going to pick on your slot corner and you're going to lose a football game because of it. So troubleshooting, right? Maybe it's not even a personnel issue, right? Maybe it's a culture issue. Maybe you lack leadership. Maybe you feel as though you can't get the most out of your players at practice because there's a leadership void. Maybe you don't have an identifiable leader on the offense, right? If I'm, again, I'm referring to the Steelers a lot because I was just at their camp, but I was at their camp last year too. And that was the year Ben Roethlisberger uh, had retired. So it's the first year post Ben Roethlisberger last year in Pittsburgh. And you have this quarterback battle in camp between Mitch Trubisky, Mason Rudolph and rookie Kenny Pickett. And there was a noticeable leadership void. There was not an alpha in the huddle in Pittsburgh last year. And it translated to a poor start, a two and six start. And it took till later in the season when Kenny Pickett assumed the starting role and really began to take over for the offense to improve. This year at camp, Kenny Pickett's the man. He's the man. He, he is noticeably the leader of the offense and probably the leader of the football team in general. And that's something that, you know, you have to be able to identify. Who's, who's our alphas? Who are the guys who are going to lead us? And who are the guys we're going to rally behind? And that's extremely important as well. So if teams can't troubleshoot their own weaknesses and their own flaws, they're going to uh, be in for some, some hard times. So, okay, there's, there's five big things that all teams want to try to identify or accomplish during training. 
Now, of course, within this process, one of the most important things to do is to determine your best players, your starting 22. And when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about some of the more interesting camp battles around the league. What are some of the best camp battles in trying to do that? Do just that. Determine your best 22. So we'll whip around the league in part two and highlight those camp battles when we come back. Stick with us. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, welcome back to the call sheet. Kevin Smith with you talking training camp primers. What do teams attempt to accomplish during their training camp seasons and their preseason games before they make that final cut down uh, to get to the 53-man roster. And now in the second part of the show, let's look at some of the more intriguing training camp battles around the NFL. And of course, the position that most people are interested in when you talk training camp battles is quarterback. And that's the one that we will highlight the most because there's, there's three really good starting quarterback battles going on in the league right now and there's and there's two rather interesting backup competitions so so let's let's touch on each one of those okay let's start in indianapolis where there's a fairly heated competition between veteran gardner Minshew and rookie anthony richardson richardson was a guy coming out of florida who was thought by most people would need a few uh, maybe not years but but uh, but some time to grow he was coming out of uh, an offense in Florida where he only compete, completed 54% of his passes uh, in his redshirt sophomore season. And that's generally considered a red flag for a lot of NFL evaluators who really value accuracy. But Richardson's tremendous athletic ability and, and his ability to function in the RPO game, to run the football, both as design runs and off schedule runs, seemed to be a perfect fit for new head coach Shane Steichen's offense. So Indy drafted Richardson with the number four overall pick. He's in this battle with the veteran Minshew. Minshew's probably got the edge right now because he is simply more seasoned. He's more NFL ready. And if you head into week one, you're probably a little bit more comfortable with Minshew. But the Jonathan Taylor situation, as we highlighted on last week's episode of the call sheet, does muddy those waters a little bit. And I don't know the answer to this question. Does it make, does Taylor's situation make Indy more or less willing to start Richardson? On one hand, you could say, hey, look, if the Jonathan Taylor situation doesn't get resolved, why not? Why not start Richardson? Well, maybe our season's going into the tank. Uh, let's get this kid as much experience uh, as we can. Or you say, let's not put him in a position where he's set up to fail. He doesn't have Jonathan Taylor. The ground game might not be what we thought it was going to be. We don't want to put too much pressure on his shoulders, force him to throw the ball too much, have him to experience a lot of failure and you know, potentially ruin his confidence. So there's two schools of thought on that. 
my suspicion is the Colts will start Minshew and will slowly integrate Richardson into the starting lineup, much like they did with Jalen Hurts in Philly when Shane Steichen was their offensive coordinator a few years ago. And at some point during the season, middle of the season, late middle, expect Richardson to take over the starting job. But we shall see. All right, to Washington, right, where Sam Howell, the second-year quarterback out of North Carolina, appears to have the edge on veteran Jacoby Brissett for their starting quarterback job. Howell has gotten the lion's share of reps with the first team. Brissett's been running largely with the second team. Washington, interestingly, doesn't swap quarterbacks in and out with the first team. They're pretty much running one with the ones and the other with the twos. And predominantly the guy running with the ones has been Hal, which would lead you to believe, you know, he's going to be the starter, but Washington's also been very careful not to anoint him the starter. And they've made some interesting remarks about the importance of their upcoming joint practice with the Baltimore Ravens, which will happen later this week. And that that's going to be a big evaluation tool for Sam Hal because in the preseason games, you don't get a lot of reps starters against starters, right? Sam Howell may play a couple series, but who knows who he's playing against. He may be playing against some other team's backups. And so giving him practice reps in Baltimore, which is not stuff that's going to be available for public consumption and where he's likely to get looks against the number one defense will be really valuable for him. So it'll be very interesting to see what they do. Obviously, Howe's got a much higher ceiling than does Brissett. You know what you're going to get with Jacoby Brissett. You're going to get a game manager and a guy uh, who will be functional on offense. And honestly, with, with Washington's defense, they've got an excellent defense in Washington. A game manager might not be a bad way to go, but they like the potential of Hal. But he's going to have to show that, uh, along with the splash plays that he's expected to make, that he doesn't turn the ball over and make the boneheaded plays that can derail an offense and put the the commanders in a bad position defensively. So that'll be another interesting one to take a look at. And the third big starting job that appears to be a battle is down in Tampa, where veteran Baker Mayfield was expected to get the starting nod, but appears to be now in a bit of a battle with second-year player Kyle Trask, the young quarterback from the University of Florida, who, as a rookie, seemed to be pretty far behind everybody else, but made large strides in the offseason and now is really pushing Mayfield for that starting job. So the Mayfield-Trask battle is sort of like the Hal-Brissett battle, but only but flipped, right? I mean, you we've seen plenty of Baker Mayfield. We've got a pretty good idea of who he is and what he does. He's flamboyant. He's energetic. He's cocky. People tend to love him or hate him. Uh, he makes some bad mistakes with the football. He's going to turn the ball over. He's going to do some things to hurt you, but he's also going to make some splash plays. He's going to bring a lot of energy and enthusiasm. Tampa's got some talent at the skill positions, pairing a talented quarterback like Baker Mayfield with those explosive skill players could make for a pretty potent offense in Tampa. But Kyle Trask, as a younger player, who's a little bit more, conservative with the ball a little bit better in the pocket he's not going to get out of the pocket and make some of the the plays that Mayfield does off schedule but he's also probably not going to turn the ball over the way that Mayfield can on occasion so it'll be really interesting to see 
how that proceeds. Tampa opens their preseason on Friday night at home against the Steelers. Uh, Mayfield is going to get the starting nod. The Steelers will probably not play many of their veterans. No TJ Watt, no Mika Fitzpatrick, no Cam Hayward, no Patrick Peterson. So you're going to see a patchwork first team unit and then a lot of backups. I would imagine that Baker Mayfield needs to do pretty well in the time that he gets, or you'll take an even harder look at Kyle Trask going forward. There's a couple of interesting backup jobs as well that we'll talk about briefly. In Tennessee, two highly touted quarterbacks who were both drafted highly by the Titans, Malik Willis and Will Levis, are locked in a pretty good battle for the backup job to Ryan Tannehill. Now, this is a there's a good chance this will be Ryan Tannehill's last year in Tennessee. And so really what the Titans are are determining or could be determining is the heir apparent, right? Whoever wins the backup quarterback job among or between Willis and Levis could potentially then be the guy who gets the upper hand towards succeeding Tannehill a year from now. And Malik Willis, there was some conversation about him back during OTAs that he might not even make the roster. I mean, he was coming out of an a spread RPO offense at Liberty University that was very, very far, very, very far in its nature from the playbook that he then inherited with the Titans. And his learning curve was steep. And by just about every account that you read, he didn't do well last year, and there were serious concerns about whether or not he'd even make it back to Tennessee this year. Would the Titans let him go? But he's earned a lot of praise from the coaching staff this time around in training camp and is said to now have the edge on Levis for the backup job. And that'll be really interesting because, again, man, Levis is a high-ceiling guy who fell in the draft, was expected to go a lot higher. Some people thought Levis might even go in the top five, uh, and he fell deep into the second round. So Will Levis will have a chip on his shoulder. Malik Willis will want to prove the doubters wrong after his rough rookie season. So that'll be really a, fa a fantastic battle to watch, even though we're only talking about backups. And here's another one. Out in San Francisco, Brock Purdy was initially thought that he would miss some significant time this year after suffering the elbow injury, injury in the NFC Championship game against Philadelphia that derailed him for a while, required surgery. So it looked like while Trey Lance was also recovering from a surgery of his own, that maybe Sam Darnold would be the starter. But Purdy's ahead of schedule. He looks like he's on schedule to start the 49ers opener. And so now the battle there becomes one between Lance and Darnold. Now, Trey Lance to me is intriguing to me because he seems like a perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense. He seems like a guy who in that wide zone boot play action offense with his mobility would be uh, a real asset. And Sam Darnold is not that quarterback. He's a very, very different quarterback, much more of a pocket passer and a traditional uh, you know, guy who, who is not going to be as useful in some of the things that Shanahan may want to do. But obviously they liked Sam Darnold enough to sign him in the offseason and again thought for a while there that he might – be the starter so this will be really interesting too who if, if purdy stays on schedule if purdy doesn't have a setback who then backs him up is it lance who may push purdy for a starting job at some point 
because again, the reports on him have been pretty positive this uh, this camp. Or will it be Darnold, a veteran who is somebody who may not fit the offense as well as Lance, but who has much more experience? And you might feel like, hey, if Brock Purdy goes down and we got to put somebody in the game, Sam Darnold's experience might weigh more than Trey Lance's athleticism. So that'll be another really interesting battle to watch. And also an interesting thing as to whether or not the 49ers keep all three of those quarterbacks. Will, let's say Sam Darnold beats out Trey Lance for the backup job. Will somebody come in, somebody who may be quarterback needy uh, or somebody who whose quarterback goes down with an early season injury? Will they come in with a strong offer and try and lure Trey Lance away from the 49ers. That'll be interesting to watch as well. All right. So those are your, those are your exciting quarterback battles. I mean, I'll touch on a couple, a couple of non quarterback battles real quick. These are much less sexy. Uh, and, but, but still very, very riveting, especially if you're a fan of these teams, I'll just give you three. Here's three quick ones. Uh, in Detroit, there's a really interesting linebacker battle going on. One of my favorite players in the 2023 NFL draft linebacker, Jack Campbell out of Iowa is locked in a battle with three other players, Alex Anzalone and Derek Barnes and uh, Malcolm Rodriguez. And the four of them are really battling for the predominant two inside linebacker spots in Detroit. Campbell is thought to be one of the leaders there. He's He seems to be getting the lion's share. Uh, no pun intended. I just realized I stumbled into that. He seems to be getting the lion's share of reps uh, at, at one of those inside spots. And so you have Anzalone and Barnes and Rodriguez kind of battling for the others. Anzalone's a nice schematic fit next to Campbell because he's a little more athletic. Campbell's look bigger and more of a banger. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because that's supposed to be a physical Lions team, but they need to stop the run. They're one of the worst run-stopping teams in the NFL last year. If they can stop the run on defense and pair it with what's expected to be an explosive offense, Detroit could be pretty darn good. If you hop over to the AFC and look at Cincinnati, they got an interesting battle at right tackle where Jonah Williams, who was the starter at left tackle for three years, then in a tumultuous offseason requested a trade, but then he rescinded the trade, right? Because Cincinnati brought in Orlando Brown from Kansas City and Williams wasn't happy. And now he's getting kicked over to right tackle. And he just figured, all right, well, once once he kind of leveled off and accepted that he's going to be the right tackle, everything would be fine because he's a good player. Well, he's getting pushed by Jackson Carmen, uh, the second year uh, really physical player out of Clemson. So that'll be really interesting to watch because obviously Cincinnati has got, invested an awful lot in Joe, Joe Burrow and you want to keep him clean. So the tackle positions in an AFC North that has some really explosive edge rushers in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Baltimore, it's paramount that the Bengals keep Joe Burrow healthy. Finally, Pittsburgh, right? Uh, can't got to talk about the Steelers real quick, simply because I went to training camp this week and and got a good look at the, at them. And their number one pick is the left tackle Broderick Jones. He's locked in a camp battle with incumbent Dan Moore Jr., who has started thirty four games at left tackle over the last two seasons for the Steelers. There was a lot of expectation that Jones would come in and supplant Moore. Jones is a really physically gifted individual. I mean, 6'5", 3'10", and can move. One of the things that blew me away at training camp was watching him pull and get out into space, moving just fluidly, light feet, 
incredibly agile for a huge man. But Dan Moore Jr. looks like he's going to be the starter. He's he he appears to be advanced as well. That his game has stepped up. And of course, the Steelers with a young uh, emerging quarterback of their own in Kenny Pickett want to obviously keep him healthy. And so it looks like to start at least that Moore will hold off Jones for the starting tackle job. How long he holds on to that job will be interesting to see. Okay, so those are some of the really interesting camp battles. And as the preseason schedule really kicks off this week, Thursday and Friday, we'll get a really good look uh, at some of these battles. The quarterback stuff will be really, really interesting. And it'll be interesting to watch, too, as we go through uh, you know the camp season or the preseason games and look for some of those things that we mentioned in the first part of the show, right? Our teams, your favorite team is your team. Checking off those boxes, those five things we mentioned in the first part of the show, right? In terms of scheme and situational football and culture, et cetera. So preseason is preseason, right? It's it's football that doesn't count. But at the same time, it's one of the most important seasons uh, or periods of the NFL season, I should say, in terms of building your team. And so there's so much to pay attention to, and I can't wait for it all to get rolling. Okay, that's it for me this week. Next week, we're going to talk uh, about some of the preseason action and some of the things that are going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll keep this thing rolling, man. I appreciate everybody out there listening. I appreciate all the support we've got. The Fans First Sports Network is growing. Uh, and uh, and it's, it seems to be, you know, growing at the right time as we're about to kick off the 2023 season. So enjoy what's left of your summer, everybody. I hope you're back next week. I appreciate you all. Take care. <laughs>